listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Glad to hear you you all chit-chatting and having a good time reconnecting. So perhaps you've heard today is Easter. We celebrate the resurrection. We've decided to refer to this day as Orientation Day. And I realize for some of you who maybe your first day on the job or first day at school or first day to something new, Orientation Day might generate a certain amount of anxiety. You're like anxious, like, oh, no, I, I don't want that, you know? I, I don't want to be around the new folks, around the new thing, around, around the new responsibilities. But I think if, if an orientation day were ever done well, uh, its goal is to actually set, it, set us at ease, to let us know how things are, what we're a part of, so that we're not blindsided so that we kind of come in with our eyes wide open and we have a sense of what we're a part of. And so that's what I'm hoping that we can get at today. I want to start with a bit of a story. So, you know, most maps, and maps just do that, right? They help orient us. Most maps face north. That is, the top of the map corresponds with north on the compass. And the bottom of the map is south. Uh, to the left, let me think, thank you, is west, and to the right is east. Um, but sometimes we're presented with maps that require us to kind of reorient ourselves. So there's a, there's a famous one called the reverse map, and it, it looks like this. Now, as you're looking at that map, can you tell what it is a map of? It's a map of the world, of the planet Earth. Uh, any other observations? So some might say it's upside down, but that's an interesting observation. To refer to this map as being upside down already presupposes that north is up and south is down. Because although the planet, does, planet Earth does spin on an axis, who's to say which side is up? Who's to say which side is down? It's, a, it's an arbitrary decision. If you, if you think about the solar system, if you think about the galaxy, there really is nothing to say that what we've always told ourselves is up, is up. And it does kind of prioritize the northern hemisphere, the way we normally look at the map. And so one of the things that this particular map is intended to do is to suggest to us that that which uh, exists at and below the equator is just as important as that which exists at and above the equator. So that a good portion of South America, a good portion of Africa, a good portion of India and Australia is just as important as land, as people, as those of us who live in the Northern Hemisphere. So Northern-oriented maps, maps that we're used to seeing, actually are quite old. Uh, we found some as old as 400 B.C., so 400 years before Christ. They already had maps that were, quote-unquote, oriented to the north. That is, the, the top of the map was north. But in the Middle Ages, 
uh, something shifted. And there for a while, there's about a four or five hundred year period where maps of the world were all round. And in the center of the map was Jerusalem. At the top of the map was Asia. To the left of the map was Europe, and to the right of the map on the bottom was uh, Africa. And the whole thing was surrounded by water. It was a perception of the world as, one, as a round world, which is interesting because that kind of predates Columbus and all those things. And then, two, it, uh, it centered on Jerusalem. And maybe even more importantly is that the top of the mount the top of the map faced the Orient or the East. It comes from a Latin word, Oriens, which means rising. That's where our term Orient comes from. So the sun rises in the East. And so these maps were said to be oriented because they faced the Orient, not the Occident. And it was a different way of kind of seeing the world and then also a different way of seeing ourselves in the world. So. Many of you know that a group of us went to Israel a few weeks ago, and we really had a blast. And even a smaller group of us stuck around, and we went to Jordan. And so it was my first time to Jordan, but I had studied this one particular map at St. George's Orthodox Church in Madaba, Jordan. There is this map. Um, it dates to about the 6th century, although we've only known of it for the last two or 300 years because the church went through a remodeling, and when they took up the floor, underneath the floor was an older mosaic. So we have a picture of this one, too. This is the church in Madaba. So I know it's a little hard maybe to make this out, but this covers the whole Middle East. So um, to the far left here um, is sections that would be around Syria and Lebanon, and to the far right are sections that go all the way down to Egypt. But perhaps one of the most interesting things about this map is that it's the earliest that we know of that faces east. The top of the map is east. The bottom of the map is west. We know this because we know the landmarkers, the, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea. And we know that this is the way they intended the map to be read because there's writing on it. You know, and the writing faces this way. There, if you focus in, on one more picture here. One small section of that map is the city of Jerusalem. And to the far left here is a gate. That is the gate to Damascus. So you'd leave that gate and go to Damascus. And then this long white section running through the middle was the Cardo, uh, Main Street. Like if I said, for those of you who are Lakelanders, uh, what are the main arteries that uh, run north and south in Lakeland? You might say Florida Avenue, or you might say one of those other roads that keep changing names, like Kathleen, Hardin, Sykes, which depending on where you are, or, or what is it, Lakeland Hills, Massachusetts. Right, you know, I don't know why we do that, but we can't seem to keep the name of a street the same name, especially if the road keeps going straight. <laughs> it's especially hard to keep the same name. Our roads like to take, like, right-hand turns. But, but cardo uh, comes from the Greek word cardia, for heart. 
So the main artery of a, of a city, or the main artery of, of our bodies, right, is kind of runs through the heart of us or our cities, and that's the heart of Old Jerusalem. We know this is a Christian map, by the way, because the center of the map, and this is the bit that kind of sticks down in the middle, that's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, the church built by Helena, Constantine's mom, to commemorate both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So this is what I want to say about these maps. They offer a different perspective of the world. They offer us an alternative of how to see this place in which we live. And I think that's really what orientation is all about. To be oriented at one time simply meant to know which way is east. Now, now today, if we say orientation, and we're talking about kind of the beginning of things, or if you say someone is oriented as opposed to being disoriented, if they're disoriented, they don't know which way is up, right? They don't, they don't know how to do things. But if they're oriented, then they, they fit in somehow. They've, they've figured out um, how the system works. Our world system wants to orient us, so to speak, towards the north, towards a particular way of being in the world, a way that often has us differentiate us between us and the other, right? Whether it's in terms of nationality or in terms of politics, or in terms of religion, or in terms of ethnicity, we're all the time finding ways to differentiate. And when we differentiate, it's often for the point of kind of keeping the other at a distance. But I think the resurrection of Jesus Christ turns us. It has us turn toward the rising sun, to face east for a bit, to find a different orientation, to find a way of being in the world that serves the spirit of life, a way of being in the world that serves the Prince of Peace. And so on an orientation day, there are multiple things that you might be introduced to, but we're going to look at three. We're going to look a little bit at the history of our group, a little bit at its vision, and a little bit at its mission. So we'll start with history, and I'll just read some of Luke 24, which tells kind of the end of this big Jesus story. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the rest. <clears throat> and I want you to focus in on this last paragraph, Luke 24. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home amazed at what had happened. 
So many things strike me about that story. First is that everyone who kind of shows up to the tomb to take care of the body of Jesus is female. Right? They're all women. And when they get there, they expect, you know, they've brought all their spices, you know, they're going to prepare the body. And when they get there, there's no body. <laughs> Except there's these kind of angelic figures who say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they're kind of in shock. So they go and they share their testimony to the apostles and to the other fellows that are with the apostles. And it says they didn't believe them. It sounded like an idle tale. What? What is that? Like, so many things to be said. One, apparently there wasn't some great expectation that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. They've got a testimony that he has been, except it's just from a bunch of women. And so why should we believe that? There's so many things that I think we miss out on because we think the truth can't come from those people. Like, that's not the right person to be telling me the truth. We need to have ears to hear. We need to have eyes to see. We need to be able to hear the truth from folks who perhaps we might have thought, that's not where I expect the truth to come from. Because we don't want to be like this crowd that hears the first ones to hear the story of the resurrection and think, hmm, that's weird. There's a more kind of encompassing uh, summary of the belief of the early church. It comes in the book of Acts, and it's on the lips of Peter, as kind of Luke tells the story. I'd like us to focus on that just for a minute. This is Acts chapter 10. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message, that peace, Jesus is Lord of all, that message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism of, that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the apostles, but to those who were chosen by God as witnesses and who, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and dead. All of the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Like if you want to know what Christians believe, this is kind of the earliest summary statement about the, the crucial elements of the Christian faith. That God is not a, uh, doesn't have partiality. That God is not looking for some particular people. That God is open to all. We say at Oasis that everyone's welcome, that nobody's perfect, and that anything's possible. We say that because of texts like this. God does not sow partiality. That's a big part of this story. And then <clears throat> that this God had sent Jesus of Nazareth and had anointed him with the Holy Spirit 
to do mighty works and deeds and to, to proclaim a beautiful message of good news. And that happened. Now, this is a key point to the story, I think. He says, we are witnesses to all that he did in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging on a tree. Look, when we tell the gospel story, if we tell it in such a way that God sounds like an abusive parent, kind of abusing the son, then that's not the right story, right? Our, our, our Heavenly Father is not an abuser, right? God didn't need to kill Jesus. Jesus <clears throat> did not die by suicide. Right? Jesus <clears throat> didn't need to die for Jesus' sake or for God's sake. Listen to me carefully, because this is an important part of the story. We sometimes get this wrong, right? They killed him. Right, that's, God offered us the best thing ever, the presence of God in the flesh. He gave us everything we could ever want, the best gift ever given. And humanity embodied at that time amongst the Romans and some Jews, right? Humanity said no. We gave the hardest no we could give. God sent his son, and we said, we'll kill you. And so how do we expect God to respond to the death of his son? Like, if you killed one of my kids, you better run and hide. Listen, all this stuff about peace and stuff, this is what we preach because it's easy to say when, when bad things don't happen to us. Right? It's harder to live yeah? You ever found that, that the, the Christian ideals sound wonderful, but then you try to put them into practice, and you're like, hmm, what's this about? <laughs> right? This, this must be for what others should live up to, right? I'm always cutting myself a break. We gave God the hardest no, and he gave us the best Yes. He's like, give me your worst. And we're like, okay, we'll kill your son. And he's like, that's, well, that's pretty bad. <laughs> but here's my response. The resurrection. God raised him from the dead. They put him to death by hanging on a tree. God raised him on the, day, uh, on the third day and allowed him to appear. That's the Christian story. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoa, forgive me. I'm getting excited. <laughs> that no matter what we had done, God's response was, I love you and I forgive you. Here's my son again, living to never die, resurrected, for all eternity, ascended to the throne of heaven, from whence he shall come to judge. It says here, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. So that Jesus is the judge. And one day we will all stand before him and we'll face the judgment. 
And his answer to us is always yes. And what we have an opportunity to do, as opposed to saying no to his yes, we can say yes to his yes. This is our history. I'd like for us to close this section, or in this section, uh, with a prayer. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. And I want us to kind of pray it in unison. This is a, a prayer of response to the history of the faith. Let's pray together. Living God, long ago, faithful women proclaimed the good news of Jesus' resurrection, and the world was changed forever. Teach us to keep faith with them, that our witness may be as bold, our love as deep, our faith as true. Amen. So when you enter an organization or a group or a school or what have you, and you figure out, well, this is who they are. This is where they're from. That's the history of the group. But then now you need to kind of come a part of or catch the vision of the group. Like, where, where are we headed? What is this group about? And this, on this particular Sunday in the Revised Common uh, Lectionary, the, the story of the gospel from Acts 10 gets paired with this vision of the new heaven and new earth from Isaiah 65 and 66. It's Isaiah's vision of an ideal kingdom, what we wish things looked like, what we're promised that things will look like. What I love about Isaiah's vision <clears throat> is it sounds so normal. I mean, it doesn't sound so extravagant. Like when he opens it up, it just sounds like everything's just going the way we hoped they might go. There's peace in the city of Jerusalem. People are building houses. They're planting gardens. Their children are growing up, and their grandchildren are growing up, and their great-grandchildren are growing up. I mean, life is good. Life is so good that it says, and this, this is our first hint that things are really different. Life is so good that it says, if someone dies at 100, we will mourn as though someone from the youth group passed away. Like, we, we, all, we all realize that we don't experience grief kind of consistently. If, if someone is 98 and they pass away, what do we say? They had a good life, right. But if, but if someone's 14 and they pass away, we, we, we grieve the loss of, the, of what could have been, right? The hope, uh, the, the, the joy, the, the possibility of, of youth. And what Isaiah says, if someone dies at 100, we'll grieve like they were one of the young people. Like, life seems to be elongated, like prolonged. And then it really starts to get weird as we get into the, to the animal kingdom, the, 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 the non-anthropon, right? Um, a wolf lies down with a lamb. Now, that's atypical, right? <laughs> Normally, the wolf would eat the lamb. But the wolf lays down with the lamb... And the lion eats hay like an ox. Now, 
Part of me is a little concerned because it sounds like Isaiah's vision of the new creation is completely vegetarian and maybe even vegan. Right. And some of you are thinking, at long last, maybe we'll all get there. I'm not sure what to make about that vision. I'm praying that the Lord will help me if that's the case. But it is a vision of peace. It's a vision of wholeness. Look, whatever you think how things, the calculus of how things work now, surely, I hope, I pray that that's not how you want things to be forever. When you look around the world and you see the problems that we have, I hope you don't think, well, in the new creation, I hope we have some more war. <laughs> in the new creation, I hope we have some more famine. In the new creation, I hope we have some diseases that really rock the world. No. In the new creation, the vision that we have that is partially given to Isaiah, and I might add, more fully given to John the Revelator, is that of peace. Is that of the holy city coming down, of heaven and earth becoming one, of God wiping away all of our tears and saying, saying behold, I make all things new. That's the vision. That's what we're working for. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we've been promised. That is where we're headed. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead. Revelation will refer to Jesus this way, the firstborn of the dead. Well, there have been other people who had died and come back to life. Like, you know these stories, right? There's the one with Elijah and the woman whose son died. Remember that one? Or there's one with Elisha. He was like already dead and buried, and these guys were, needed to bury their friend, but they didn't have a chance because here came the Philistines. So they just tossed his body into the tomb with Elisha and said, he came back to life. That, that had to be a shocker. Right? There, there are other stories. There's Lazarus, right? That Jesus you know, calls to him days after his death. Lazarus come forth. But then there's Jesus, and Jesus is unique, and this is how Jesus is unique. There have been lots of people who have died and come back to life. I mean, it happens in emergency rooms uh, fairly often, right? They flatline, they hit them with a defibrillator, and they come back, right? It's why we learn CPR. Some people are in the living. This is a visual, so look up this way. Some people are in the living. They go into death, and then somehow... By medical intervention or miraculous intervention, they come back to life. But what happens to those people eventually, in the end? They die, right. Lazarus may have been raised from the dead, but in the end, Lazarus died. But Jesus' experience is different than that. Jesus did not go into death and just come back to life. Jesus goes into death and comes out the other side. He's resurrected. He's not going to die again. And that's what we can anticipate. Like, we don't just get resuscitated. We get resurrected. And the resurrected life is forevermore. This is, this is the New Testament does a lot to just kind of repeat and expand on the Old Testament. But there are ways in which it is value added. <laughs> it's more than. And this is a big part of it. The, the new heaven and new earth, the new creation, is not just a return to Eden. 
it's moving forward to a new creation. The coming of God sets things right in ways that they had never been before and in ways that give us full peace and joy and hope and life. Let's pray again. This is in response to our vision. We have another prayer for us here. Let's pray together. Mighty God, in whom we know the power of redemption, you stand among us in the shadows of our time as we move through every sorrow and trial of this life, uphold us with knowledge of the final morning when, in the glorious presence of your risen Son, we will share in his resurrection, redeemed and restored to the fullness of life and forever freed to be your people. Amen. So we know our history, and we've caught a glimpse of our vision where we're headed So what shall we do? What's the mission of this group they call Christians? Well, interestingly enough, our mission is headed towards, right, that vision. It's how do we get there? And how do we get there in such a way that we can take as many people as possible with us? Like, that's our mission. Our mission is to help other people see the vision. (laughs) Our mission is to invite them into a community of peace, to invite them to participate in a community of joy, to invite them to receive forgiveness and to be made whole and to be included. That's our mission. Our mission is to see that they all get to Um, participate in that vision that we have just talked about. And so, how do we do that? We tell our stories. We tell the story that we have received. It's what I love about Christianity. We don't have to make up stories, right? There, There is this great story to be told, And then there's these ways in which we participate in it, that is, we've experienced it. Like, if if you're going to call someone to be a witness in, say, a court case, you want someone who either saw the event, right, they're an eyewitness, or perhaps you want someone who knows, you know, the defendant, right, they're a character witness, or maybe you want someone who really knows the kind of ins and outs of how it all works. We'll call them an expert witness. In order for you now to be oriented, you know, toward the east, right, to face the rising sun, to be a part of this Jesus community, we need you to kind of practice this faith. We need you to get to know Jesus so that if someone asks you about this faith of Jesus Christ, you can personally say, this is who I know Jesus to be. You, you become a character witness by virtue of knowing the character of the person that we're following. And you can study scripture and church doctrine and theology, and we'll call you an expert witness. And th- those, those are helpful too in the process. Uh, I am one of those. Right? So I don't want to speak against them. But mostly, mostly, I'm interested in us becoming eyewitnesses and character witnesses of Jesus. 
Paul says this. He says, I'm going to hand to you, this is 1 Corinthians 15, the epistle passage for today. He said, I'm going to hand to you what we received, that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried according to the Scriptures. And on the third day, he rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. This is Paul handing to us what Paul received, right? He's saying, I, we received this, and now we're handing it to you. We're telling you the story. This is part of a long essay Paul's written on the resurrection. And one of the things that I love about it is this. At the end of this long essay on the resurrection, he doesn't say, well, I guess that hopefully that sets you all at ease, that when it's all done, you get to go to heaven and it'll be okay. So just, you know, grin and bear it until you die, and then I'll see you on the other side. He doesn't say that. He gives us this long story about the resurrection. He tells us how Jesus is the victor over death and the grave. And then he ends with this. Your labor will not be in vain. Yeah, I'll rephrase that. We believe in the resurrection. Therefore, let's get to work. Let's, let's practice resurrection life. Let's see God in everything we do. Starting this uh, Tuesday night and running the, the next uh, six or seven uh, weeks, uh, we have um, kind of a talkback session. We call it Labs, Learning and Belonging. And we, we're following a book. It says it's something about um, our, our job as a parable. What does a Walmart greeter, a nurse, and an astronaut have in common? The, the reason we're doing this is because of this. When Paul talks about the resurrection, he says, everything you do will not be in vain. God will take it up. Every act of kindness, every act of mercy, every time you forgive someone, every time you stand up against injustice, every time you, t you take the right stand, God will take that thing every Every hug, every, every love, act of love, every um, word of encouragement, uh, every poem, every song we sing, God, all that work we do, whether, whether it's the smile and, and the encouragement of the greeter at Walmart, whether it's the adventure and the expanding of human knowledge of the astronaut, whether it's the care of the nurse, or, or whatever it is that we do with our vocation. It's not that we ourselves are building the kingdom, but God is coming and establishing the kingdom, and he's inviting us to follow along so that what we do, he takes up and uses. This is our mission, to be the agents which see thy will Come, or thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are plenty of, <clears throat> plenty of ways in which we say things about ourselves that are often incorrect. Right? We, we, we have some kind of self-deprecation syndrome where... We're kind of constantly putting ourselves down. We don't, we don't see ourselves for who we truly are. 
we see ourselves as some kind of damaged goods. Or sometimes it's the reverse of that. We imagine ourselves a bit better than we are, right? And at least I'm not like those people. It's very difficult for us to ever be our true selves. But who we truly are is who we are in Christ. Paul will say, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you want to know, if you want to really flourish, if you want to be kind of the best you you were made to be, you do that in kind of following Jesus. And you do that in listening to what God has to say about who you are. Not what you say and not what others say, but what God has to say. Have one more prayer I want us to pray in response to our mission. And then we're going to listen to a song. Let's pray together. Creator of the universe, you made the world in beauty and restore all things in glory through the victory of Jesus Christ. We pray that wherever your image is still disfigured by poverty, sickness, selfishness, war, and greed, the new creation in Jesus Christ may appear in justice, love, and peace to the glory of your name. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.